18 and under, okay? I know some of you were ready to jump up and go with him, but all right. So we're going to finish up the uh, section we've been doing in Corinthians. I uh, would have finished it last week, but I was out sick. Um, so thankful for Andrew for subbing in for me. But I do want to go ahead and finish it up and get back on the lectionary next week. Uh, so First Corinthians uh, chapter two. Uh, we need to kind of do a recap of chapter one well, since I was gone last week, or for anyone that wasn't here in the last couple of weeks. Remember, this was the situation in Corinth that Phoebe's house church had made Paul aware of. Phoebe's house church had become aware of the fact there was all this division going on in this church that Paul had established. And I assume by church they were probably also meeting in a house, possibly a synagogue, but it sounded like it was mostly Gentile believers, so they were probably meeting in this house. And so Phoebe's church becomes aware that they're over there just fighting and bickering so much that they're really about to split. So somehow they send word to Paul, and Paul writes back to them, and he tells them not to divide. Because he's kind of a little surprised by what they're arguing about. And you remember, we kind of laugh about it, because what we find out they're arguing about is whose baptism was better than whose. Sounds funny, right? But it was such a big deal to them that they were becoming so angry they were ready to just split in half over it. Remember, there were some that had been baptized by Paul and some by Apollos and some by Peter, and somehow they had thought theologically it made a difference who baptized you. And so they're getting into this quarrel over it, and Paul tells them that, you know what, that's human thought. When you start setting up hierarchy, that's kind of a human thing. When you start deciding that some people are better than you because they don't look like you or think like you, you're not using godly wisdom. You're using human wisdom. And God doesn't do that. Remember we talked about all people are created equal in God's eyes, but unfortunately we proclaim that we're all for diversity, but what we really mean is as long as you think and look like I do. That's what we really mean. And so Paul tells them that, you know what, I'm sorry, that's the human way of thinking of things. And in God's eyes, that's foolishness. And then he reminds them, as a matter of fact, speaking of foolishness, think about the crucifixion. You believe in the crucifixion, in human terms, that's foolishness as well. I mean, to the Gentiles, it didn't make sense that anyone would think a convicted felon was possibly the Savior and Messiah of the world. You know, the Romans trusted their legal system, and Jesus had been put to death on the cross, so he just must be a bad guy. So how in the world can you go around now proclaiming that he is the Messiah? He is the Savior of the world. And the Jews, remember, it was a stumbling block to them because they had an idea of what their Messiah was going to look like, and he was going to come in with this giant army and defeat the Romans and restore Israel. So Paul's making his argument, but as he's making his argument, you come to the realization that we realize that trying to mend division isn't that easy, is it? It really isn't. I mean, he can make all these arguments, he can be very rational, but at the end of the day, we really struggle with this. I mean, you see it in the news right now. I can't tell you how many people I've had tell me recently that we're going to have another civil war if the division between the Republicans and the Democrats continues the way it is. As a matter of fact, recently I read that a man shot his boss because his boss was a Trump supporter and he was not. 
So it is becoming quite tense. But is it easy to fix? I mean, it's just not. I mean, we, we can say, I'm all for, let's getting along. We even come up with a slogan, let's agree to disagree. But does that mean we still get along? It doesn't. We don't. We still struggle to get along. And Paul recognizes that. And so Paul is going to actually present a solution to the Corinthians. And so I'm going to read this first section. Actually, it's the entire chapter. But just it's only 16 verses. Don't get scared. The entire chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Corinthians, where Paul presents his solution. Now let's see if we can find his solution. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. Anyone find it in there? Yeah, such Pauline writing, isn't it? Um, I, I could say everything Paul just said in one sentence. It's the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, but we know Paul likes to, to write, and so he, he wrote, and it got kind of lengthy there. But what Paul is telling us is the solution is, is we need the Holy Spirit. And why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. That's what we need. We can't do it on our own. We have to have the help of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's going to give us the mind of Christ. So since we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to start just a little bit with talking about who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just a quick little recap. Um, The Holy Spirit is, theologians say, a person of the Trinity. Now, I struggle with that word person because the Holy Spirit is divine. But the reason they use person is because we have a tendency to think of the Holy Spirit as it. We don't think of the Holy Spirit in the same way as we think of God the Father and Jesus the Son. Those we kind of tend to personify, don't we? But the Spirit, we kind of think of as this wind that moves or this ghostly spirit that dwells within you and comes in and out and moves around and stuff. And so then we start kind of thinking of the Holy Spirit as it. And what do we do when we think of things as it? We start to kind of start dropping their importance to us, don't we? 
And so theologians have decided it's really important we don't say it. The Holy Spirit is in it. It's really important that we personify the Holy Spirit so we recognize that the Spirit is divine and not just some wind that blows around. Now, as far as the Trinity goes, no one can explain the Trinity. Sorry, it's just not doable. People have tried. Uh, Some of the most common metaphors I hear for the Holy Spirit is like three-leaf clover, but it's one leaf. That makes the Trinity so easy to understand, right? Another one I've seen quite used a lot in seminary is it's the, you think of the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father is in this dance and they're holding hands in a circle. And so it's this dance, the three of them, but they're still one. Well, here's the truth of the matter is, is God says that he is one. God is one, but has revealed God's self in three ways in the scripture. And that's as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have to accept that somehow those three parts are still one. That's what we have to accept. And guys, if we could explain it, then God wouldn't be God anymore, would he? Because God is above us. And he blessed humanity with inquisitive minds. We want to know. We want to figure things out. We want to be able to explain it. But this is one of those we may just have to say, I take that one on faith. God said he's one, even though he's revealed himself in three parts. We just have to accept it on faith. Because we have to accept sometimes that God is just unexplainable. And that's what separates humanity from the divine. So God is unexplainable to us. But the wonderful thing is we do know quite a bit about the Holy Spirit from Scripture because of some of the words used to describe the Holy Spirit. And those are the counselor, the comforter, friend, companion. They tell us something about the Holy Spirit, They don't, don't they? It's someone that's with us. Someone, you know, in our highest times is clapping and encouraging and our lowest times is comforting and is walking with us. And we think of one of the roles, too, of the Holy Spirit is convicting us, right? Because if you, if you use that metaphor of the dance, well, God wants us in that dance. So the one becomes four. The Holy Spirit and Jesus and God and yourself in that dance. And the Holy Spirit is always desiring to get you in. And if you start taking your hands off your partner, the Holy Spirit starts convicting you to make sure you hold on to your partner so you stay in that dance of four. So that's kind of some of the things we know about the Holy Spirit is that someone that's with us, comforting us, convicting us so that we stay in the love of God. And then a friend, a companion. It's all about love, right? And if we go to it being all about love, well, then we can just say, well, the Holy Spirit's God. It's really the long and the short of it is the Holy Spirit is God. So that's kind of what we we have gathered from biblical text of who the Holy Spirit is. Is really the Holy Spirit is God uh, revealed as one of the three parts of the one. Just an oxymoron when you say it, isn't it? Three parts of one. All right. So what does Paul tell us about the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is a solution to this problem the Corinthians were having with division, there's a lot of application for us there too, right? Because we struggle still with division, even in the church. I'm sorry to say that we still struggle with that, don't we? And so we need the Holy Spirit. We need Paul's solution 
So Paul actually describes for us how the solution works because we're rational and we need to understand. And he starts by this argument that the Spirit knows God. The Spirit knows the mind of God. So let's back that up a little bit. What does God know about us? Everything. Everything. It said he was there when we were knitted together in the womb. That he knows the number of hairs on your head, if you have any. Right? Sorry there. That's how well God knows us. He knows everything about us. And it's not just the physical stuff, but he knows why we think the way we do. He knows exactly how we got wired, the way we're wired. He was there and everything that happened in our lives and saw how we responded to it. And if he knows how we got wired the way we are wired and nothing's impossible for God, doesn't that mean he can undo some of those wires if they need undone and rewire them? Isn't that awesome that God knows all that stuff and can do all that stuff? So God knows us so well that he knows exactly why we think the way we think, but he can change it. Well, that's great. God knows all that. But how does that help us, right? How does that help us? Well, that's when Paul gets to the second part because he says, guess what we have received? The Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit of God. The Spirit knows God, God knows us, and we have received the Spirit of God. Paul says, we now have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Which means that we can overcome the human way of thinking of things. So if humans have this tendency to build walls of division based off silly things like who was baptized by who, Which, by the way, when you're the victim of one of those, it doesn't sound silly, does it? But God, with the mind of Christ, can give us that ability to overcome the human way of thinking and help us to figure out how to tear down those walls. Because sometimes, guys, we don't even realize we built the wall, much less know how to tear it down. But Christ can help us. And Paul uses himself as an example. He actually starts this passage out by telling them, I'm a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Because when I came to you guys in Corinth to preach, I didn't save your souls. The Holy Spirit did. It's the Holy Spirit that works. Paul realizes that words are just words. And, I mean, sure, he could get up and he could give a speech that might be inspiring and It might make you feel good or it might convict you or something. But without the Holy Spirit, what happens when you walk out the doors? You leave it behind. But it's the Holy Spirit that works when Paul was speaking that convinced them that this Messiah that was crucified on a Roman cross was the real deal. I have this great story from our former pastor. Pastor Scott was telling us about the, how the Holy Spirit works when he was preaching. Because uh, sometimes as pastors, we get it. We get this Holy Spirit thing because, guys, what I say means nothing. Matter of fact, I start the week out. When I first read the passage, the, the very first day, 
I look at it and say, well, that'll take me five minutes to preach. I have no idea what I'm going to say. No idea. Um, I have to spend a lot of time in prayer figuring out where the sermon's going to go. But I, we had a pastor um, back when we were in Texas who was telling this story about how the Holy Spirit worked in some of his sermons. And he was talking about this lady came up to him one time after a sermon, and she was just in tears, but she was happy. They were happy tears. And she started telling him, man, you cannot believe I have been struggling with that forever. And what you said just made all the difference. And, and I let it go, and I feel so free. And she, she was obviously very excited, very, been very transformed. And so he was, you know, really glad. But he's like, well, what is it I said that helped you? And she started telling him what he'd said. And he nodded his head, but then he went home and he got his notes out and he started looking. He went, I never said that. (laughs) Never said that. But it was the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit that was making the difference. So Paul's saying, you know, that's, that's an example of what I'm talking about is the fact that the Holy Spirit can help us overcome the way we think. Because human way of thinking is always going to be limited and we're always going to have a natural tendency, unfortunately, to build walls of division. And so we need the Holy Spirit to overcome that. So speaking of needing the Holy Spirit, well, that means we've got to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And yes, I know it's a three-prong going into two. I didn't realize that when I put it up there. You know, the fine folks last night let me know. So, yes, ma'am. There you go. The Holy Spirit's the adapter. You go, Elaine. All right. So we have to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit. If we want to have the mind of Christ, if we want to overcome the way we think about things, we want to be rewired, we have to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit. So I want to have a little demonstration here of what that's like. And I need some volunteers. I need two volunteers. Do I have any volunteers? Start picking them. All right, Candy, you're going to be one of them. Oh, you're going to be working with tools. You good with that? One electric, one's not electric. All right, I need another volunteer. All right. Brian's willing to do one. Whichever one you want to do. Are you comfortable using electric, electric screwdriver? All right, so what we're going to do is I want you to to drive those three screws in. And it is a competition where I'm going to do ready, set, go, and then you, whoever finishes first. But here's the thing. Don't get hurt because it ain't worth it because there's no prize. But it's still a competition, okay, to see who can finish first. All right, are we ready? Make sure your drill works. All right. All right, get your get your tools ready. Ready? Are we ready? Set, go. All right, got one.
must be the wood's fault. <laughs> All right. We, we. Oh, wait. She, she's still going, Brian. You might have a chance. Oh, it's over. <laughs> All right. Give him a hand. Candy won. No surprise, right? So, this is us trying to solve all of our problems with our mind. It'll get the job done, won't it? But it takes a while. It's a lot of work, a lot of energy. And you know what happens in life? There's not just three screws, is there? They just keep coming. And what happens when they keep coming? Eventually, you know, you start getting the blisters and the sore hands. And what do you do? Well, I don't want any more of that. This plugged into power, wasn't it? Incredible. Made the job so easy, so fast. Boy, she, she could finish and say, bring another set on. I'm ready. She finished all three before Brianna had finished one, didn't she? This is our minds with the help of the Holy Spirit. When we stay plugged in, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? All the difference. But what happens when we unplug it and try to keep using this? You ever tried to use an electric screwdriver when it's not plugged in? It's more useless than that. It's completely useless. So what happens in our lives when we find ourselves unplugged from the Holy Spirit? What do we do? We run back over here, don't we? And grab this one and go back to doing it the old way. And what we need to do is say, well, goodness, I need to plug that back in, don't I? If I want to use it. So there's the difference between our minds when the Holy Spirit has it, and we have the mind of Christ, and when we try to do everything our own way. We have to stay plugged in. And how do we stay plugged in? Anyone know the answer to that? How do we stay plugged in to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you're, 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 there's a bigger word that encompasses all this. It's an ugly ten-letter word. Discipline. Specifically the spiritual disciplines. If we want to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit, which gives us access to the mind of God so that we can overcome all the divisions and other things we struggle with. We don't want to be rewired. We have to practice our spiritual disciplines. And we don't always like doing that, do we? It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But if we, we want to stay plugged in, we have to practice them. And everybody's spiritual disciplines, by the way, are a little bit different. The church, through centuries of history, has discovered some that work for the majority of people. And that's prayer, reading the scripture. Church is one of those as well. And there's a lot of things. For me, it's prayer. My husband's fasting. Very different. Very, very different. I don't like to fast. Don't tell me I can't have Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, so... I mean, I, that, that's a struggle for me. But we, we are all different. And so we all have to practice, though, the spiritual disciplines we know work for us. And sometimes those shift and change in our life. Different seasons, different things become important. Um, but the spiritual disciplines 
are what keep us plugged in to the power source. And if we don't stay plugged into the power source, we just keep trying to do things the hard way, and because it's so hard, we quit. We don't work at it as hard as we we should. And so I'm not saying that's not work. You know, if you've got 100 screws to do, it's going to be a little bit of work. But what a difference it makes when you're plugged into the power source. You know, it's interesting, though, that the spiritual disciplines is actually part of what that, that, that idea that we need to stay plugged in through the spiritual disciplines is what the Methodist movement was founded on. We are United Methodists because John Wesley recognized that. And I don't know how familiar you are with your John Wesley history. This is not John Wesley, by the way. This is George Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley were contemporaries. George Whitfield was actually the better preacher of the two. Very, very good speaker. And he would go out into the fields outside of the coal mines and different places, and he would begin to preach, and people would come to hear him preach. Thousands of people would come to hear him preach because he was just a, a really good presenter. Well, he would go back then. He was friends with John Wesley. He was part of John Wesley's little club that met and studied together. And he would tell John Wesley, you need to go out and preach in the fields. And John Wesley said, it is not possible for somebody's soul to be saved outside of church. You know, he, he believed that. He struggled with that idea. But George Whitfield kept telling him about all the people that were coming to know Christ because of his preaching out in the fields. And so finally he said, okay, I'll go out in the fields and I'll preach too. But when he was out in the fields and he was seeing these people touched by his preaching and, and being saved through, of course, the Holy Spirit, even John, John Wesley knew it wasn't him, it was the Holy Spirit, he realized, though, that there was a problem with going out in the coal mines and preaching because these people, once he left, weren't going to be plugged in. And that concerned him. So he set up groups. He set up societies classes, and bands. And the societies were like 500, I mean 50 plus people. The classes were 10 to 12, and then the bands were 4 to 6 people. And they did just one thing. It wasn't a substitute for church. He insisted people still go to church if they could. But they did just one thing. Anybody know what John Wesley's classes were set up to do? Accountability to support each other. Accountability of the spiritual disciplines. They literally had, each class leader had a set of questions and those questions were, have you read your Bible this week? Have you prayed this week? Etc, etc. Accountability to make sure they were doing their spiritual disciplines so that they stayed plugged in to the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to note that we still have a a Methodist Wesleyan movement. You ever heard of a George Whitfield movement? Doesn't exist, does it? Matter of fact, Whitfield himself said this later in life. My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. This I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. You ever tried to use a rope of sand? You can't even hold on to it, can you? It just falls right through your hands. He recognized that 
He should have done what Wesley had done. Billy Graham, actually. This was said of Billy Graham's ministry, too. Thousands upon thousands of people gave, committed their lives to Christ at some of his crusades. But unfortunately, they didn't stay plugged in. And so it didn't change the world as Billy Graham had hoped. So we have to stay plugged in. We have to recognize that our spiritual disciplines are just not some duty we do to be good Christians. They're something we do so that our mind is transformed and changed. And when Christians allow their minds to be transformed and changed, we change the world. We've done it in the past. And we can do it in the future. But when Christians keep trying to change the world with a screwdriver, we just we get tired. We get too many blisters and it starts to hurt too much. And then we just sit back and we wait for, for God to rain fire and brimstone in the earth and we can just go sit on our cloud and strum our harp. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to transform the world in the here and now. And if there's any hope of us allowing all the walls of division to come down in this world, we're going to have to have the mind of Christ. So that's my challenge for all of us this week. You've neglected a spiritual discipline. Pick it up. Uh, Commit to it every day this week. Uh, If you've got some spiritual disciplines that are working great for you, try a new one this week and see if maybe God doesn't uh, plug you in a little tighter this week. So, mind of Christ, we're going to have to stay plugged in. Amen. All right, so we are going to sing.